Hello and welcome to another Linguistics Career Cast, the podcast devoted to exploring careers for linguists outside academia. I'm your host, Laurel Sutton. Our guest on today's show is Nicole Ryback. Nicole recently completed an internship in naming at Leaderboard Branding. She received both a BA and an MA in linguistics from Georgetown University and is bilingual in both English and Polish. She is a sociolinguist who has also served as a high school speech coach. Topics for today include naming, branding, internships, sociolinguistics, marketing, advertising, business basics, networking, resumes, and pharma naming. I would like to welcome this week's guest, who is Nicole, who I think we met through the Linguistics Career Launch, did we not? Yes, we did, actually. I've, I've, I've heard about you through Georgetown, and then I saw that you were going to be a part of the Linguistics Career Launch, and I was like, wait, that is an interesting <laughs> person to talk to. So yeah, actually. <laughs> wow, okay, that's very cool. Um, and th- we were just discussing off-air before we started recording. Y- you're a person who is like newly out of academia, super newly out of academia. And, yes. Um, I, I think people will be super interested to hear what that's been like for you in this transitional period between say a year ago and now what the path was you took to get where you're going and how you see your future trajectory working out so um let's just start by talking about uh, your linguistics background so you're at georgetown we're at georgetown i should say so (laughs) how did did you get there and what made you decide to go to georgetown so um that is actually kind of a long story so i will i will shorten it a little bit um but essentially um i decided on georgetown simply because i heard about how good the linguistics program there was mm-hmm. um and and i actually had a very weird like major deciding journey in the way that i applied to most schools thinking that I was going to be a neurobiology major. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Which now I'm looking back and I'm like, I I don't think I'd be able to do that, but um, like, it's just not my thing. And then I really decided on linguistics when I was applying to my last two schools, which were Wash U in St. Louis and Georgetown. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just kind of like a spur of the moment decision in the way that I was like, you know what, I've applied to all of these schools with a neurobio major, let's apply with a linguistics major. I know languages, um, because that's, that's another thing. Um, I am a native Polish speaker. um, And I've studied French and Spanish, um, all throughout high school and also college. Um, So after that, like, four plus or minus four year journey in languages, I was like, okay, sure, let's do linguistics. And that's back when I was still like, a little, a little linguistics baby in the way that I didn't really know what linguistics was. I was like, oh, language, I fit in. Yeah, Let's do that, it. that was my next question. So before you got to Georgetown, had you actually taken any linguistics classes? Absolutely none. Wow, Absolutely that's amazing. None. Okay. I really found out that it was a major as I was applying okay. to schools. Um, so <laughs> I had I had no idea what it encompassed. I knew that it was the study of language, but I didn't really know what kind of study of language it was. Because mm-hmm. um, I, again, like going into college, I really thought that, um, or, or I knew that I didn't want to just study a specific language. I was like, well, um, I, I don't think I'd want to make Spanish or French like a main major. I ended up... Um, double majoring in Spanish and linguistics and minoring in French. 
Um, but even then, kind of going into college, I was like, well, I like I know that Spanish and French are going to give me a lot. Absolutely. So many opportunities. But I didn't really think of them as like real majors, <laughs> as bad as, as it is to say. Um, and so I was like, hmm, let's just do let's just do linguistics. Let's just do language, period. And then I will figure out the major as I progress through my college career. Amazing. Okay. Um, so when you finally got, you know, uh, rubber to the road on linguistics, what was that like? So my first class that I took was Intro to Language. It's the class that everybody at Georgetown takes um, when you want to be a linguistics major. It's a required course. And usually, actually, it has to be your first course. So I took that class and I was like, wait, this is actually kind of cool. There is mm -hmm. so much more to linguistics than I thought there was. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of very early on, in my Georgetown and linguistics career, I figured out that I am not a phonetics and phonology person. I was mm -hmm. like, that I am ruling out. I was like, that's not my thing. Um, and then what kind of stuck with me the most was sociolinguistics, which was kind of my primary focus throughout undergrad and as I'm going into grad school, um, simply because I just think it's it's such an important and and kind of like on the surface underrepresented field mm -hmm. in the way that I've never really talked to sociolinguists before I've never really I, I never really knew that that was a thing and then I was like wait this is actually so important like the way we use language the way that language surrounds us in the world I was like this definitely needs to be like analyzed and looked at because especially in light of people just like kind of throwing words out there throwing things that they say out there without talking about their implications I'm like wait that's that's definitely something that I want to look into. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's so, like I said, very pretty early on, I think even in that first course, because um, it was it was very much a, um, a preview of all things linguistic. So like phonetics, phonology, um, syntax, uh, sociolinguistics, like I said, computational a little bit. Um, and it was just kind of a taste of everything. Um, mm -hmm. And very early on in that class, once we hit the sociolinguistics unit, I was like, wait, this is this is it. This is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, cool. Okay, so you're there, you get to Georgetown, you're doing your BA, and then um, you continued into the master's program at Georgetown. So were you thinking at that point that you were going to stay in academia or were you always thinking you might go outside into some kind of industry? I really was always thinking about going outside into the industry. Mm -hmm. um, I very much like on and off consider um, like getting a PhD after my master's very on and off about that. Sometimes I want to, sometimes I don't. Um, and just kind of like seeing myself like wavering between the yes and no um kind of like already gives me an idea of that I might not fully enjoy it I kind mm -hmm. of want to go out in the world and like spread what I learned throughout my bachelor's and after next year throughout my master's um because like I said again I've never really like interacted with linguists pre-Georgetown I've mm -hmm. never really heard about anything like this I've never heard about like the analysis of language in the real world and like basically applying that knowledge I've, I've never really thought that it was something that 
that was already done or was done enough. Um, so now knowing what I know, like being done with my bachelor's, going on to my master's, I'm like, wait, people need to know about these things. People mm -hmm. need to know about the implications of language. Um, and and that's kind of just that that's kind of what drove me um, to to want to continue and especially continue um, outside of academia. Yeah. yeah. So the the as many people who are listening to this will know, the Georgetown program is different from most traditional linguistics programs yes. because the emphasis really is on going beyond academia. Yes. So um, the support that you guys get is far more varied and uh, less, let's say, disdainful of jobs mm -hmm. in industry because that is certainly the case at most R1 universities where the track is just academia. And if you don't do that, there's a stigma attached to it. So, but you've never felt that, right? At Georgetown, even as in the undergraduate program, there's yeah. never this expectation, right? That you're always gonna be an academic. Oh no, no, not at all. Um, the professors I've had, the people I've talked to, um, like a lot of my friends who are linguistics majors, um, even not going into the master's program, they're like, well, I'll just do something with linguistics. Like, and, and, and one of the things that I really say a lot, um, which, which kind of also makes it challenging to, um, go into the world with a linguistics degree is whenever anyone asks me who is unfamiliar with linguistics, they're like, oh, well, what are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. And my like go-to answer is always technically nothing, but also everything. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the way that I like think about this is there is no, like you go into engineering, you become an engineer, you go to med school, you become a doctor, um, you go to nursing school, you become a nurse, you go into linguistics, you're, you're a linguist, I guess, <laughs> but that's not like necessarily connected to like a direct career path. Mm -hmm. um, and, but like I said, again, at Georgetown, that was never really the case. I still kind of say I can do nothing but everything because I mean, it like surface level, it's true. Like so many doors are open, but again, there's no like direct career path um, if you don't stay in academia. But going back to the the stigma or the lack of stigma at Georgetown, um, I I absolutely never felt it, and I do think that it is a lot in part due to this specific program, the Masters of Masters in Language and Communication, um, because like even if professors are not like teaching classes within that realm or like teaching classes that like count towards um, like that master's degree. Um, there's still this general feeling of like, oh, this exists. This program exists. Not all of our students are going to go into academia. And that is 1000% okay. Mm -hmm. It's refreshing. It really is. So let's um, get to some specifics. So you're going through the program, you're doing your master's, and now you are considering all of the everythings that you could be doing yes. as, as a linguist. So you know, your, your specialty is in sociolinguistics, which mm -hmm. is applicable in, in like dozens and dozens of areas. Oh, yeah. What do you see when you sit there and you look at all the possible career paths that, that could open? And how did you decide where to, you know, do research and find out more information? Hmm. Let's, let's see. So 
I think initially, and I don't know where I got this information or if I like made it up in my head that I want <laughs> to do this. Um, but what always fascinated me was like little taglines and ads and, mm-hmm. and the names of things and, and just everything that is out in the world that has to do with like marketing or trying to advertise something. Um, so for a while, and I'm still definitely thinking about this, I wanted to go specifically into like marketing and advertising, but just language. <laughs> um, like that would be the ideal situation. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, a lot of the times I do, even when I do say that I'm interested in marketing, people ask me, they're like, oh, but did you take marketing classes? And I'm like, <laughs> right. well, no, but like, like if it's language, like I'm, I'm sure I could figure it out. Like I have expertise in language, um, or as much expertise as, as a bachelor's um, grad could have, but I I know what I'm doing. And it's, but again, there's also the, there is this stigma that like, whenever I say marketing, they're like, oh, well, you weren't, you weren't a marketing major. And I'm like, okay. And like, what about it? Um, but so, so that is definitely something I'm considering. Um, however, I have recently come across the naming industry. Um, mm-hmm. And that is actually where I am interning as a namer um, at Leaderboard in North Carolina. I'm doing it remotely. Um, but I, I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, and, and again, I think it was, it was actually because of you, Laurel, <laughs> that I like got to know this field um, even from our like one or two maybe like conversations um, that were on Zoom, um, it, that's where I learned about it. And I was like, wait, this is this is so cool. And it's language. And it's mm-hmm. like, and I'm still doing a little bit of like, not necessarily marketing, but like developing the things that maybe the quote unquote marketing experts can do that I can't, but at least I'm part of the process linguistically, um, which is deaf, which is just the dream because that's like, I love linguistics. I'm linguist through and through. Like I, I love it. I love it. (laughs) Um, and, and especially like in this internship too, it's, it's been, um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been yeah. a lot of fun. And I can and I can go into details um, oh, <laughs> if yes, you would like me to. Definitely. I, I have a couple things I wanted to ask you. First, are there other linguists there or are you the only one? So I think my direct supervisor was a graphic design major or did something with graphic design. And then she just found herself in naming. Hmm, um, okay. I'm not sure about the three other like lead namers that I work with. Um However, the two interns, the two naming interns um, at Leaderboard this summer are two Georgetown students. Um, So it's me and another girl from Georgetown, um, both in the Masters of Language and Communication program. Um, And yeah, so that was that's a fun little um, coincidence, I guess. Um, But yeah, as far as I know, we might be the only two like actual like linguists Mm -hmm. starting like um from college yeah interesting okay i i I asked specifically because obviously this is my area and there are not as many linguists in naming as you would expect 
there are more now than there used to be. And I always encourage linguists to explore this as a career opportunity because I think, as you're saying, you know, it's a perfect match. Oh, yeah. What are you doing absolutely. when you're coming up with names? <laughs> like you're playing and analyzing language. It's it's a really good uh, intellectual and emotional match, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I want to just go back for a second to the, the marketing discussion that, that we were having a second ago. Mm-hmm. If you had the chance, would you take some marketing classes? Do you think it would help? Um, I feel like the only way I'd take one, um, is to get rid of that stigma of like, Mm -hmm. oh, I want to go into marketing, but, oh, but you don't have a marketing class. Like, so what? But, (laughs) but like, that would really be the only reason. And I, I'm not sure if I, if I'm affected by that stigma Mm -hmm. enough to be like, oh, I need to take a marketing class. Um, if I would have room in my schedule, um, and I would really be exhausted of my linguistic options and I've like taken every class there is, sure, sure. Why not? Um, the more, you know, the better, obviously. Um, but again, I like, and I absolutely value expertise. Like people who like studied marketing know what they're doing. Um, people who studied linguistics know what they're doing as, as everyone, um, who has studied anything knows basically what they're doing um at least when it comes to like the knowledge aspect of it um but again I don't yeah that would really be the only way that I would take one it's not something that I necessarily see as a necessity um that might just be the optimist in me (laughs) talking but again I don't um I, I wouldn't really see myself taking one unless one I was like required to um, two to like get rid of the stigma, or three if I had like, um, uh, like an empty space in my schedule. Right, sure. right. All but, the time in the world, sure. Yeah, exactly. Then sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I will. Having these conversations with with you and with the other linguists, it makes me think um, that if you're going into an industry that not even as an entrepreneur, but as somebody who maybe wants to work up to a management position, for example, which mm-hmm. you may or may not want to do, but you know, in 10 years, you might want to manage a group of people or something like yeah. that. There's a value, I think, in taking classes, not necessarily in marketing, but more in business basics. I'm thinking mm-hmm. back to when I started my company with my my two partners who were both MBAs. So they knew mm-hmm. everything and I knew nothing. Like <laughs> I, I knew the language stuff and they knew all the business stuff. And it was a pretty steep learning curve for me to, mm-hmm. to come to grips with things like, you know, basic profit and loss statements. And this is how we do accounting. And these are the kinds of jargony oh words that you, you need to use when you're talking to your clients, because often in marketing and naming specifically, you're talking with people who are vice presidents of marketing or branding, mm-hmm. and they have been doing their jobs. As you say, they're experts, they've got degrees, they're likely MBAs. They come with a whole um, sort of inbuilt set of jargon that they will throw at you. And if you don't know it, you can look kind of dumb in a meeting if you're constantly stopping going, wait, what? What is that thing that you're saying? What What's in IBIDA? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, it, it just helps to have a grounding in basic business practices, especially for me here in technology land near Silicon Valley, just mm-hmm. to know what people are talking about and the way that they might talk and what kind of considerations you need to have. It, it just 
can give you a leg up. And I, I think that goes for anybody who wants to get into industries just to understand what business is about. You know, how do people use do business? And the, the most amazing thing to me, having done this now for 20 plus years, is that from the outside, it seems very uh, regimented and professional and you know, people mm -hmm. are ser serious people making serious decisions in offices with lots of glass and Herman Miller chairs. <laughs> the reality is nobody knows what they're doing. And everybody is just flying by the seat of their pants all the time. And once I realized that, it made me feel a lot better about not knowing certain things. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it would have helped if I'd known more going into it because I came straight out of academia. Like I, I had mm -hmm. worked in retail stores and stuff like that, but I didn't know anything about anything that was business related. So it, it's just something that I've been thinking about. And I think there are some universities that have sort of business for, um, you know, soft sciences people or humanities people. So Ooh. I would, yeah, I, I, I cannot remember where I, I read about this or spoke to someone about it, but I would encourage people, like, if your university offers something like that, take it. You will not regret it. It could be very valuable for you. And to be honest, not very mentally taxing. It really is a lot of commonsensical stuff, okay. but seeing it all laid out is helpful. So that, mm -hmm. that just struck me. Sorry to, to oh. imp impinge on your, your story, but um, oh, I, was, no. I just was curious as to how you felt about it. And I, I wonder if that shouldn't be something that more uh, linguistics and humanities departments actually build into their curriculas. Like encourage people to do a little bit of that. If you're planning on, on not being an academic, it'll, it can only help. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. You make a very fair point. And I and I do think um, part of the reason why I said like, I probably wouldn't or like, I don't necessarily regret not taking a marketing class um, is because it, it kind of like seems daunting from the outside. It's like, yes. oh, this, this, this little linguist is, is coming into like a marketing class. And it's, um, and, and like, again, a lot of like, people involved in marketing or like in any other major obviously it's going to be hard for someone from like a linguistics major for example something that not a lot of people know about first of all um because like again I'm I'm sure that this has been covered a billion times um like oh what what are you studying in college linguistics mm -hmm. what is that how many languages do you know and I'm like, <laughs> right stop <of> that <laughs> like that's not it that's uh -huh. not the point um so and then coming into something as like known as marketing something as known as business administration it's kind of like oh like what are you doing here um which again i'm sure that like people are understanding professors are understanding like I, people are understanding but just the feeling of like going into these classes and with people who already have some sort of level of like knowledge about marketing and business it's kind of like oh oh but i you, you do have a fair point better better to do that to have that moment of like little self-doubt or like do i belong um in the classroom where you're supposed to learn rather than out right. in the real world. So exactly. I absolutely <laughs> agree with your point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that's something I'll have to think about that a little bit more. That's, that should be a thing that really it should, should be, be a thing. thing. Yeah, absolutely. If it was in, um, if it was like a business or marketing for, like you said, like soft sciences, like linguistics and stuff, like I, I feel like I would be 
even more inclined to do that because mm-hmm. again um your major or like the fact that you are in soft sciences is being considered um mm-hmm. that it's not like oh I want to go straight into marketing this is what I want to do it's like well no I already know this much about language or this much about like other soft sciences um and now I'm kind of like building off of that rather right. than like oh drop me in linguistics then drop me in marketing then drop me in business right, administration right. and it's like what am I doing yeah um, yeah it's it's but, adjacent it's an adjacent thing that just adds to your general skill set to prepare you for mm-hmm. when you go out into the big world okay um so let, let's talk about the the process by which you got this amazing internship so yes. I, I think people will specifically be real interested to hear about um, how you found it, how you prepared your resume, what were the interviews like, all that really nitty gritty stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and this is like just a huge piece of advice for for anyone. Um, if you're in college, um, talk to your professors, talk to um, like program coordinators. So like Alex Johnston, for example, at Georgetown, um, she was actually the one who sent over the internship to me because Mm -hmm. I had like these very real and honest conversations with her um, that were like, hey, I haven't had an internship like almost ever. I don't know what I'm doing. Everyone else is getting internships, not necessarily from the linguistics major, but I had a bunch of other friends who were in like healthcare administration. what else did they do? Like, obviously, like business marketing, like advertising. And I was like, okay, but what do I do? Like accounting mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I'm like, I, like, I, I'm left with nothing. And I, and I know that's not true. But, but I think a lot of, a lot of my internship search was based on reading the descriptions very thoroughly and like qualifications very thoroughly and being like, how can I, weave my linguistic knowledge into here how can I it's it's not as straightforward as like oh you have to know this program this program this program um you have to have had graduated like um in marketing or in business administration or in whatever other um whatever other major um like obviously it's not as straightforward as that because I I learned both the hard way and through people telling me over and over, but I didn't listen. And I kept on (laughs) looking at um, internships for linguists and Mm -hmm. half of the time it was like, there was either no results. And it was like, what is a linguist? (laughs) Like every website was like pretending like they didn't know what linguistics was Um, or um, a lot of like computational and applied linguistics stuff came up. And I was Mm -hmm. like, this is not, for me this is not what I want to do um and so a lot of that was just kind of like looking at these descriptions and I mean like listen how can I how can I just insert linguistics into here how can I Mm -hmm. use linguistics to benefit me um how can I use it to justify why I'm applying for this internship Mm -hmm. um but kind of going back to my first point um those real honest conversations with your um, professors and with mentors, um, super helpful because if I hadn't had those honest conversations of, listen, I do not know what I'm doing. Um, I don't think there's anything out there for me. I'm worried. If I had not had those conversations, I 
like I probably would have found this internship eventually um, through my various LinkedIn and Google searches that just lasted for hours. Um, Like I probably would have reached it, but the person who did help me out was Alex Johnston from Georgetown, a mentor that I had um, and still have phenomenal woman. Shout out to Alex Johnston. Um, If I had not received that email from her being like, listen, I know you're looking apply to this, do Mm -hmm. it. Why not? Um, I, I probably would have found it much later. Um, I wouldn't necessarily know how to approach it. Um, so again, very real conversations. It's not, cause I feel like a lot of the time, at least, um, at least at Georgetown, um, the way that I felt sometimes was like, oh, everybody knows what they're doing and everybody is strong and smart. And we like, everybody has everything figured out. That is not the case. (laughs) Um, And I think it's very important to like share that, that that is not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if you do want to like impress a professor, impress a mentor, don't like be you, like whatever is on your mind, whatever is worrying you um, career wise, academia wise, share it, just share it. Mm -hmm. Like you do not know what opportunities will come your way if you do. Nobody will think any less of of you if that if you do share what you're really feeling, your worries about academia, your worries about careers. Um, so I I want to just interrupt you to say that is true generally. I I know stories of people who are in certain departments where that's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Georgetown is a great shining example of a place that is safe. But, um, you know, I I have heard stories from people in other departments who, when they are honest and brave enough to share some of the things that are going on and and their uncertainties, like you were saying, you know, what am I going to do? I don't have an internship. What's going to happen? If they don't put on that front, that brave face, it really can be a black mark against you because Mm -hmm. you're expected in, in some circumstances to really have it all under control and to be supremely confident in what you're doing. And there are some professors who will think less of you if you don't, if if you admit weakness. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, everybody has to gauge their own situation and figure out who the safe person is that they can go talk. And it might not be a professor in your department. It might be somebody in a different department, or it might be somebody, if if your university has a career center, for example, Mm -hmm. those people might be better suited to that kind of, um, you know, uh, soul bearing thing (laughs) than than a, a professor. Because, you know, the reality is in so many linguistics departments, the, the faculty has zero experience with anything that's outside of academia and they may be sympathetic, but they can't help really. Yeah. No, um, and, and it's sad. It's super sad that it's like that. Yeah. But no, that is, that is a very, very fair point. Um, again, Georgetown, like we said at the beginning, there is like no stigma around yeah. not wanting to be in, not wanting to be in academia um, after finishing up your bachelor's or master's. Um, and therefore, a lot of the professors at Georgetown do have experience from outside of academia. So again, like you said, like, 
gauging people is is definitely a big part of it. Um, I say professors simply because I those were the people that I went to um, that I knew that had some outside of academia mm-hmm. experience um, that even very minimal, but still they did they did do something out of outside of academia. And they kind of like knew <laughs> the struggle even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then we're able to kind of point me in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I, I think your experience is almost a, a microcosm of the, the bigger thing that, um, that I've talked about with so many people, which is basically networking, right? Mm-hmm. Even talking to people at your university, whether they be in your department or not in your department, is making that connection and asking for help when appropriate and mm-hmm. just letting people know what your situation is. And that is absolutely the case when you're starting to look for jobs as well. And that's why there's such a lot of emphasis on things like LinkedIn, because that is the place where you make those connections and then you develop a network and then you can tap those people when you might just have a request or want to do an informational interview or something. It's really invaluable and it's not fun to, uh, you know, put yourself out there and make connections and it feels like you're imposing on people. But as you were just saying, it's that's what people do that's the whole point of something like LinkedIn and that's why you're linking to people yeah is so that you can help each other um when it's possible and if you ask and someone can't help you it doesn't mean that they're now going to hold a grudge because you ask them for something (laughs) they can give they'll just be like I can't help sorry hit me up next time maybe I can help you then bye and everything's fine it's all fine yeah exactly like worst thing that could happen is they'll say no Right. Like, and even in a very nice way, like it's exactly like there's no, there's absolutely no harm in like making those connections again, which I, I do remember, um, like writing a little note and being like, Hey, like, I think that this is interesting that what you're doing, like, you know, like, let, let's be connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that, um, that that definitely helped. Cause I, I do think Again, Laurel, I reached out to you on LinkedIn. <laughs> I was like, hi, <laughs> I'm interested in what you're doing. Can we talk? Yeah. Um, and again, you provided me with like a lovely overview <laughs> of your mm-hmm. entire career path and, and naming. Um, and that is kind of what got me started in, in wanting to do it. Again, I had no idea that this was a thing. And now that I'm in the internship, I had no idea that this was such a process. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it uh it's changed a lot in the last 50 years or so, but it's mm-hmm. uh it's far harder to do good naming now than it used to be because as you know, the legal requirements yes. and having to to check names in so many countries around the world, it didn't really used to be like that. Mm-hmm. So, you did so I talked to you. Did you do other informational interviews with other people? Um I actually don't think I did. I think I I was very much mm-hmm. I, I was very desperate to just get that interview for an internship. Um so it was a lot of resume tailoring um for me, I think, and just like hitting that apply button. Um mm-hmm. but I do think um I should have done more inter- informational interviews. Again, I am absolutely thrilled um at the internship I'm at right now I love it 
Um, but I, I definitely think it would have been, um, it just would have been fun. Cause like the, again, the more, you know, like, what is it going to hurt you that you're going to talk to someone for like 15 mm-hmm. to 30 minutes and just have them explain their career to you, explain their industry to you. Um, so again, that is something that I, I did not do, but I wish I did. <laughs> and I will be doing, um, going forward. Um, just because I think now I'm really, I'm really starting to see the power of networking. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even last year, um, as I was part of, um, the, the career launch, um, event, I going into it, I knew that networking was important. I was like, okay, sure. Like I'll connect mm-hmm. with people, whatever. Like, this is something I just have to do. Um, but kind of like once the once the program started um is where i really learned that oh like this is this is actually helpful and and people do want to help people do want to talk about their career people do want to talk about their industry especially if they love it um if they're loving what they're doing like obviously you would want to like talk about it and tell more people um so i think um I think even after that that program, I I grew a lot in the way that um, I really learned about those informational interviews. However, still being like a small little undergrad, I was like, there were always moments of doubt. Um, I'm I'm talking very optimistically here, as in like, oh yeah, like just like connect and like talk to people. Um, I kind of still struggling to do it myself. Um, which again, like I did find, um, like you said, my safe people at Georgetown that I could just really (laughs) like talk to about my career worries. Um, but when it comes to just kind of like reaching out to people, it's still, it's still kind of scary. Um, I have like made connections with people that I've been like in, um, I guess, well, not webinars, but maybe webinars, um, webinars in, and it it was still like even sending that message, like, Hey, I saw you there. Like, I'm, I'm a linguist. I'm interested in what you do. Can we connect? Like even sending that it's kind of like, Oh, 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 this is happening. (laughs) Like this, I am, I'm reaching out to a stranger. Um, but it's something that definitely takes time to get comfortable with especially if somebody's an introvert because I'm I'm a massive introvert (laughs) um and so kind of like having to put that work in um again is becoming easier however it's still kind of like oh I I prefer my small little close circle of Mm -hmm. of familiar faces and and I'm good but that is that is definitely a very like idealistic way to look at the world like connections are incredibly important Yep. No, that that's true. And I'm, I'm so glad you pointed it out that it, it does get easier. Right. And, and oh, I yeah. think many of us who are into academia are fairly introverted. I mean, there's a certain um, stereotype of, of people who are, you know, studying, especially if you're going on to get a master's or a PhD, and it can mm-hmm. be very hard to reach out. But as you were saying, uh, the experience of being refused is not bad. No, the not worst at all. people can do is say no, and they don't think any worse of you. In fact, I would say, for most people, um, they will have forgotten that you even ask them two days later. Yeah, because they're busy and lots of stuff is happening, and 
they, they just don't care that much. You're, you're one person. If they can help you, they will. But it, it's, it's a far bigger deal to you reaching out to make that connection than it is to the person who's responding to that. So no, um, absolutely. I've like, even talking from my own experience, um, I've had people that, um, and this is going back to like maybe sophomore, junior year of college. I had people from my high school that I like never really even talked to, um, like reach out to me, send me messages on social media that were like, Hey, like I want to get into Georgetown. Like, can you, can you help? And like, if I couldn't, it was like, it was the last thing on my mind that they like asked me to do that. I was like, well, sure. Like I can like help in any way I can. Like I give, I can give you like little like interview tips and pointers and stuff like that. But um, again, I can't do more than that. Um, and, and even then I think my, I can't really say, no, actually I can say this. Like I, I even respected them more for it. That was like, Hey, like I, I have also been in your position of like needing to like reach out to someone. So like, I'm very glad you did reach out. And like most of the time I would even be excited that they reached out mm-hmm. and it's like, yes. Oh my God, they want my help. Like, this is so <laughs> cool. Like, this is great. Um, so even like thinking back to that experience sometimes when I'm like sending those um, invitations to connect or sending those messages, I'm like, listen, like if I was in their shoes, I would be, thrilled and again like people have whatever is going on in their lives but like I personally I'm like wait if somebody reached out like looking for help from me like that's cool that thing that like means that they know what I'm doing and that like mm-hmm. e- it's even like a little ego boost you know but, it, it certainly is I, so, I can agree yes it, it is nice to be asked it really is nice to be yeah. asked um so, okay so what was well how did you you were talking about your resume so yes. so how did you sharpen up your resume what did you do so um this was actually a very helpful thing um because i worked as a i guess receptionist as an office admin in the linguistics department at georgetown um and something cool that they did was have a current um phd student who is also like worked outside of academia but is back in academia um she like showed up one day and she was like, listen, we are doing your resume. And I was like, thank God, because that is, it is a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think my biggest thing that has helped me, or at least like helped me manage um, my applications and my resume and like what I really want to put forward um, is creating like a huge, big master resume. That's like however many pages long, um, not that long because I'm I'm still a baby, but um, but but still like longer than something I would submit. And then just kind of like looking through the um, description of the job and being like, okay, well I know that it doesn't have to fit like hit every single point on um, on the list of things that they require on on required qualifications. Um, but let's see how I can make my current experience apply to um what they kind of want to see um so I'm not sure if I specifically remember what I put um in for this application but I do um for example I can say that anything that was like um linguistic-y related in the way that I would have to like study language because again I've applied I, I think I applied to like 
20 or 30 internships this year. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, but, um, whenever it would be anything like with analysis, anything, um, like I applied for a market research internship. Um, Mm -hmm. so for that, like, for example, I've done some linguistics research. Um, I wrote a senior thesis. Um, I helped out, um, a PhD student with his, with his dissertation for a year. Um, I did some transcription, um, for one of my professors. And so, for example, if it was anything that had to do with like market research or analysis, I would be like, I'm putting all of these things in that had to do with research um, just because it is very, it, it's still linguistics, but it's very like practical linguistics. Right, right. Um, and so kind of like including that for those things. However, I don't think, I think, I, I don't remember if for leaderboard, I put those down in my resume because I was like, wait, like they want a namer. They want someone that is good with language. So for that, it, like immediately what went to my mind, I was like, oh, I can write about Polish, Spanish, French. I was like, because mm-hmm. I know that these are going to be um, a lot of the time, like global brand names, um, especially for pharmaceuticals, because leaderboard is more pharmaceutical oriented. Um especially for that I was like I can definitely use that um and sure enough in my I believe my second interview um with my current supervisor um she like noted that from my resume which again has never really happened um because I did do a few interviews before this one um for internships and she like noted that and she was like oh like you mentioned Polish French and Spanish and I was like well yeah like because I thought it was relevant and she's like that is very relevant because that is definitely something we like need to keep in mind when we're naming we need to like screen it for that we need to like figure out if it has like a bad association in like the languages of the world especially if it's going to be um released into like a global market um and so kind of like very much like like keeping a whole record of what I have done like as as relevant or as irrelevant as it is like I have my whole foods um whole body stocking job like on there because it's still something because if Mm -hmm. I were to be applying for example um like to the linguistics department where I was like the the assistant like office admin at the front desk I was like well that requires customer service um so therefore I know I haven't like worked at a desk before like as kind of a receptionist um I can put down like here is where Whole Foods becomes relevant because I spent Mm -hmm. like a good year just like talking to people and like recommending products and like kind of um just engaging them in conversation and like getting them what they need. And I'm like, so despite this was like in a grocery store versus an office, I'm like, that's still something that I can see um, that can fit into this job and that can show that I'm qualified. I'm qualified to talk to people. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of like very much tailoring um tailoring and like keeping the the description of the job open um and like pulling out the little details of who they're really looking for um Mm -hmm. as I am creating like a one-page resume um that has like the most important things that I would see most fit um for the job or internship or anything that I'm applying to so I'm I'm really digging listening to you talk about this because I think it, it illustrates a, a big point that many people probably don't think about, mm-hmm. um, which is when you're applying for jobs, first of all, as you say, 
they're mostly not going to have linguist in them unless they're yes. computational linguists <laughs> or something specific. And it's so important to read the description of what they're looking for and see how your own experience maps to that, which yeah. in, means looking for keywords like, um, you know, research or data analysis or whatever it happens to be and seeing if you've done something that can relate to that in some way. How can you spin it? And what it really means is that as you're applying for all these different jobs and internships, you're presenting a slightly different version of yourself each time. Yes. And that's weird, but that's okay. It yeah. doesn't mean that you're lying. It doesn't mean that you're exaggerating. So, you know, don't do that. Yes. <laughs> don't say no, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> but you are shaping your persona to fit the kind of job that that you'd like to have and mm -hmm. that's that's the way people do it i mean that that's kind of how business is it it feels a little bit like from my experience in academia that your academic your academic persona is is sort of one thing you know you're interested in different things and you're skilled in these areas and you do that mm -hmm. and and your cv is your cv like your cv doesn't change except that you add new things to it yeah whereas when you're applying for jobs, your resume, which is not the same as a CV, might look really different from job to job. Mm -hmm. It's still you and it's still your experiences, but you're just shaping it in order to convey something different to somebody who might be looking for something else. Exactly. And, and, and that that's a it's a change. Like it's just a mental shift that you have to make where you're okay with showing different sides of yourself to different people. And it's still you. And who knows, maybe there are skills that you didn't put down on your resume because the job offer didn't call for that, but which actually do come into play later on. So it's always there. It's not like you, you stop having those skills or you stop talking about those skills. You just want to present the, the best version of yourself that's best suited for this particular job. Exactly. And then it changes depending on the job. Exactly. It's kind of like getting getting your foot in the door with like your best version of yourself mm -hmm. for that specific job. And then like if your other skills like come in handy, which they very likely will that mm -hmm. you like didn't have on your resume, even better. Like that's <laughs> like that's that's the point. Like you're supposed to grow and develop. And then um, if if you do end up like needing those skills, which like I said, like more likely than not you probably will <laughs> um then then all the better yeah yeah it's 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 a little bit like being an actor and auditioning um <laughs> you know it's like well what are you looking for okay i i can do that i can definitely mm -hmm. do that or exactly. eh, maybe i'm not right for this role yeah exactly um, uh, yeah, I, it's funny. I, I never thought about the parallels before with things like acting or, you know, changing your persona. But uh, again, it, it's a real difference from academia where it's the emphasis is more on staying the same, you know, mm -hmm. obviously growing and doing new things and doing new research. But this sort of constant maneuvering where you're presenting different skill sets to different, slightly different people. Um, is, isn't something that you learn how to do within academia. And it's absolutely oh, yeah. something that you learn how to do once you start getting out there on the job market. And it also is reflected in the fact that um, most people who have been out there in the business world for, you know, 10 years, 
have had many jobs because that's the way it is. It's it's not where you get one job and you just stick with that job. The, yeah. the, the tendency is to have many jobs and you're growing and learning along the way at each of those different jobs and you're picking up different skills and nobody thinks that you're a quitter because you've had, you know, six jobs in eight years. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. There's, there's no stigma attached to that at all. It's just... You know, you wanted to do something new. You wanted to grow. You wanted to do a different thing and gain different experiences. And that's perfectly okay. Yeah, no, exactly. And and kind of like even going back to like the whole Whole Foods experience, I remember when I started working in college um, at Whole Foods, my mom was like, why are you doing this? Like, this isn't even like in your field. Like, this is not what you want to do. And I'm like, well, no, but also like, obviously it's a way for me to earn money, um, obviously. But I'm like, I, I learned so many things. Like, mm-hmm. even from Whole Foods customers, <laughs> I was like, yeah. I've talked to so many interesting people. Um, and, and I really, like, learned my way around customer service a little bit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and that helps. Like, when you're talking to people, when you're in business meetings, when you're with yeah. clients, it's like, that's its own thing. Like, you have to know how to handle these things. So even, like, mm-hmm. a little a little job, like a, like a stalker at Whole Foods, um, it, it makes a difference. It really yep. does. Yeah, totally agree. Totally. So tell us about your job. What do you do? What do you do in your internship? Ooh, okay. So I started about three weeks ago. So I'm still not in like the meat of it. Um, I still have so much to learn, Um, like trademarks, linguistic Mm -hmm. screening, all of the other types of screening. Um, But basically, um, I think I think it's even easier to just like give you like a a day to day. And and again, like day to day changes. Um, depending on like, if there is a client call, if there is like an internal meeting. Um, But so if there is a client call, as of right now, I am just sitting in the background, video off, listening, just kind of learning the ropes of how Mm -hmm. it's supposed to look. Um, Because again, I'm only like, I'm finishing up my third week now. I'm, I'm still fresh. Um, But um, so that's basically what like those client meetings. So at those client meetings, what happens is um, usually the first meeting is kind of like a brainstorming meeting in the way that um, you, you like talk to the client. um, And, and this is a very simplified version. And I know there's much more to it. Um, But um, it's basically like what the client wants in a name, what, what the product is, they explain the product um, and basically give some sort of, um, direction, um, or it's really prompted, at least from what I've seen by the leaderboard team. Um, it's really prompted, like, what do you want to see out of this name? Mm -hmm. Um, so like words get thrown around, um, like descriptors, like freedom, liberation, happiness, those are like common ones, but, um, that basically those like creative directions get thrown around. Um, and then what happens next is a creative brief is really created, Um, and that is basically where I come in, um, along with the other intern and the other namers. Um, and we get this direction, um, and it has a lot of like concepts to explore. Um, so if, for example, a client wanted to, um, highlight the fact that this is a new treatment, because again, this is more like geared towards pharmaceuticals. There's other clients too, but it's usually pharmaceuticals. Um, and we basically get that like creative brief. That's like, oh, like the client wants, um, 
like I said, like that this is a new treatment that people won't have to like travel to a clinic to do it. Um, they can do it like they can take this pill or they can like use an auto injector like at home. So like it gives them more free time. Um, so it's just a lot of like concepts that are listed um, that we may want to explore. There's also concepts to avoid um, if there's like competitors or um, if there's just a certain like word part or word or concept that the client doesn't want um, that like is all in there. Um, and then I just sit down and I, and I brainstorm and I think, um, and more often than not, again, because this is pharmaceutical naming, um, all the, all the weird, weird names and weird commercials you see on TV. Um, so it's basically, you're creating new words. That's what you're doing. (laughs) That's, um, new words that still have some sort of like, um, direction to them that still like allude to certain concepts um but don't have to be like full words um because again these are like fake names well not fake names but like these are like not um like they're not real these words did not exist before like the namers created them um so it's usually about like 15 to 30 names i want to say per round um per namer So then that adds up to like over a hundred something that then the naming lead um, takes and presents to um, the client. They choose which ones they like. They choose which ones they absolutely don't want. Um, And then the process starts over again, um, knowing more of like what the client Mm -hmm. likes and doesn't like based on the first list. Um, And so then again, I sit down, do like 15 to 30 names, (laughs) whatever is required. Um, and, and I send them over, um, I have to like screen them as of right now, there's, there's more screening, but I have to like screen them for URLs, um, URL availability. Um, I have to screen them through a system that tells us if there is a similar drug name out there. Mm -hmm. Um, if it's above a certain percentage that like is not available, that gets so frustrating so quick Mm -hmm. because you think you have an original name and then it's like 90% similar to something else. And I'm like, Oh God, (laughs) like we're, we're back, back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, that's, that is basically what I do. Um, and of course there's, uh, like, as I'm learning, I'm like meeting with my supervisor, um, and the other intern. Um, and we, she basically just like teaches us the ins and outs, um, checks in with us, um, how we're doing, how we like, uh, for example, generic naming is what we did today. Um, cause there is a difference between generic names and brand names. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't have it. Oh, I have, I have Pepto-Bismol next to me. Um, mm-hmm. so like Pepto-Bismol is like the name and then Bismuth subsilicate or something um is like the generic so we um we do both um so today was for example our first try at uh generic names of meds that was (laughs) that was its own that was its own beast um so certainly there's a lot to learn um but the team is like super helpful um and they really do want us to learn um Mm -hmm. and that's that is the very long version. Um, however, I, I would have a longer version, but it is a long version of what what I do, basically. So given all that, and, and my job is very similar to yours, yes. there's a lot of things, there's, uh, you know, lots of things to keep track of, and every day is different and all that stuff. What would you say for you was the most 
important thing that you've studied academically that helps you in the job that you have now? Um, I do think actually, hilariously enough, um, that like phonetics and phonology came in handy, um, <laughs> which again was something that I said that I did not want to do. Um, but there, there is definitely an aspect to it that's like, or, or even, um, like the way, like syntax too. Um, and, and like the way that words are written, cause like, for example, you know that you can't put like four consonants together and like, mm -hmm. I, e like even like mixing and matching these, these letters to create these words. Like, I know I still have to follow a certain pattern and I know that pattern through, like, for example, I took a grammatical analysis class. Um, that is, that's where I learned that. Um, I learned that I can't put like four consonants together, or maybe I can't, maybe I'm making that up, but like anything that's like super weird and like not found in like, um, the English language, I'm like, oh, like that, that maybe shouldn't work. Obviously there's some leeway. Um, but that comes in handy. Um, like I said, again, phonetics and phonology, um, in the way that like, I, you say something out loud and it's like, oh, that sounds good. Oh, that sounds bad. Why does it mm -hmm. sound good? Why does it sound bad? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of, and, and again, this is not something necessarily that um, I need to like report as to why it sounds good, why it sounds bad. Um, but like in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking like, oh, like maybe this letter will sound good with this letter. This syllable will sound good with this syllable. Um, and I think a lot of that did come from that um, phonetics and phonology. Um, situation I also do think that um sociolinguistics also helped a little bit um in the way or a lot of it but um I do think it helped in the way that um I really like put myself in the perspective of a customer that's like oh like would I like this name and why would I like this name and like why would I buy this product what um what meaning does this even like a made-up word carry um and so so that has definitely helped and again um languages i do think that this is like outside the scope of like linguistics linguistics but i do think that um my knowledge of languages really helped because again you do have to have like a like a good grasp on like what will sound like good in english but maybe like terrible in spanish or like terrible <laughs> in polish like having that in the back of my mind also um like helps incredibly because then it helps me like rule out names that like don't have to like pass through screens to only have somebody look at it and be like that does not look like a good word in Spanish like that is not good um but that um I, I can say that that has also definitely helped hmm. interesting uh, so huh. do you find so now I'm I'm just thinking about my own experience, do you find that the sociolinguistic stuff that you studied also helps you just generally in business communication and dealing with your team and, and clients? Um, I do think, um, I don't know if I've come across anything that was like, incredibly like groundbreaking, um, or that like <laughs> changed anything. But I do think that I have, um, I definitely pay attention to like the words I use, the, the way, the way I communicate, um, the way I talk, the way I write. Um, because again, a lot of the reason why I am studying sociolinguistics is because, um, I think that there's a lot of 
weight, even in like the smallest things that we can like have in our language or or change about our language there's there's weight in every word mm-hmm. um I don't think that like language is really like objective in any way that you'll look at it like language at least to me seems very subjective in the way that you do have a choice in which words you use you do have a choice in like the way you talk to people um and I and I definitely think that it has um studying linguistics has made me more competent um, in knowing like what, what I should and should not do. And again, this is very like, um, prescriptive of me, but (laughs) like a very prescriptive linguist of me. Um, but I do think that, um, linguistics has helped me a lot in, um, figuring out how to communicate, how to communicate effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, again, um, I might run into more things as this internship progresses. Um, but as of right now, it, again, has been very, uh, has been a very like fresh and new experience for me. I'm, I'm still learning. Um, but I, I, I feel like, I feel like uh, something might come up this summer. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Uh, I, I will say it's sociolinguistics has been super helpful for me in dealing with clients and, giving presentations and as you say just communicating more effectively mm-hmm. and being able to gauge what kind of language I should be using with mm-hmm. certain clients you know every client is different even within a company you have to know who your community of practice is basically like you know who am I talking mm-hmm. to and how are they going to respond to what I'm saying what kind of words should I use um, even so far as noticing uh, conversational styles when people Absolutely. you can tell when people prefer that you speak more slowly or that you leave pauses instead of maybe following your normal cadence which would be you know to follow closely when someone's talking you know you jump in just as soon as they're finished talking and some people think that's really rude yeah um, and if you as a linguist like you're very tuned to that sort of stuff and you can really quickly figure out what the best most effective way to communicate is so exactly um, you know, and it, and it's not even conscious sometimes, right? Because you've been trained. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's just there and you're just doing it without even thinking about it. And, you know, it's very nice because then you're able to communicate and people are like, wow, you, you were able to talk to that person or you were able to write a really clear email. Nobody else has been that good at doing it. You're like, well, yes, linguist. That's yeah. why. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and, and even kind of like going back to naming too, um, it, it sociolinguistics definitely has helped because even when there's like a concept of like freedom that a client wants, I'm like, well, do I use free in there? Like, do I want to allude to freedom or do I want to allude to liberation? It's like, cause again, there's like, there's, there's that, there's still like a difference, like a very slight yeah. one, oh, like yeah. a tiny one, but it's like, it, like, to a non-linguist, like, that might not seem like a big deal, but then, like, the implications of that might, might, like, be there. Um, Whereas to a linguist, it's kind of like, oh, like, you automatically kind of, like, hit that, and you're like, oh, this is different. Like, which one do I want? Um, So, so it, it, I, it definitely has helped in that way. Um, like even in that example, um, I've, I've dealt with that, um, throughout these past three weeks and I'm like, do I want to say free? Do I want to say liberating? Like, Mm -hmm. which one do I want? Like, do I want the lib 
in the name or do I want the free in the name? And what will each of these like mean for the company, for the people using this medicine? Um, so it's, it's uh, yes. So it, it definitely helped in that way. Mm -hmm. Cool. That is great. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to say that we haven't covered or any other little bits of advice that you'd like to give to the folks who are listening? I think I'd like to say, um, especially to college-age linguists out there, <laughs> I, I feel like I've had many a conversation with people in linguistics that are like, well, what am I going to do? I don't know. And I think after graduating, you kind of like do put it into perspective a little bit. That's like, oh, I do have this degree. I can do mm -hmm. things with this. Like, the world is literally my oyster. Like, even if linguistics doesn't have, like, that, like, direct career path that I talked about before, um, or if you do think that you're, like, supposed to be in academia, not necessarily. Like, I've, I've definitely heard things about academia that were, like, well, not things. That makes it sound like I've heard bad things. But I've definitely heard that, like, if you're not, um, and, I, and I'm sure you could, like, sympathize with this, Laurel, um, that like if you're not fully in it like that academia journey might be hard because if yeah. you're not if you're like pushing yourself because you think you should uh, uh, like yeah. sure that might help you in the long run like when it comes to jobs maybe but like it, are are you going to be happy so i think that that definitely um like there are options out there. There are mm -hmm. so many options. Like you have to, like, you can't think of it as like a one-way track of, oh, sure, I'll go into academia because that is what linguists do. Because again, I know that at like some like universities, maybe around, um, around the world or in the United States, like that's kind of the expectation of like, yeah. oh, like we're going to put you in a bachelor's and then you're going to go into like your master's and PhD. And and there's no other options, I guess. And it's made to seem like there's no other options. Mm -hmm. There are. Like, no matter, no matter where you go to school, there are. Um, and just finding, finding uh, like, your safe person um, that will kind of be able to, like, sympathize and, like, help um, is, is super helpful. And to, to the introverts, too, like... I, maybe finding your safe person that you can like talk to about like careers um and worries maybe that might be might seem hard but like in the end so worth it so mm -hmm. worth it yeah that's great i'm i'm so glad that we um you know came around to the talking about the safe person thing because that is probably the the most important thing that people can do as students is to figure out who your safe people are and yeah. talk to them and for the people who aren't safe you know, don't, don't talk to them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there are people who are not going to be helpful. And of course, you have to respect them and do yeah. the things that you need to do to graduate. But you can't wish or force a, a person to help you if yes. they're not going to help you. Um, one of the things that I've heard anecdotally, you know, from universities where the faculty is not as supportive of careers outside academia is that, some professors won't even provide, you know, a reference for you if you're looking for a non-academic job. 
because wow. they don't think they don't think it's a good idea for you. So, you know, they're not going to do it. And so be it. You cannot force yeah, them to do that. No, you cannot you wish can't. them into doing that. It's just not going to happen. So and, and you can't take it personally and view that as some failure on your part. That is just the way that person is. So move on to somebody who's actually going to help you. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I do think that in the end, like that journey to even finding your safe person, absolutely worth it. Absolutely yeah, yeah. worth it. And I and I can only hope that people are able to find as like great of mentors as I was able to come across. I know that, um, like you've said, that that's not always an option for people. Um, but if if you do feel like if you even have the slightest inkling that somebody might be able to help you, somebody might be able to help like even talk through your career or your plans, even if you like again, have a slight inkling that they might be able to, what is the worst that could happen? Right. <laughs> like if you approach them, they can say no, that is it. Yep. That's true. That's great. Well, that's a great way to end this. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I, I just want to thank you for sharing your experience and your career journey and, and everything that's happened to you so far. I think it's really valuable for people to hear about someone who's sort of in the thick of it right now. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you so, so much for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. And I I love sharing what I know. See? Like that that that's exactly how like informational yeah. interviews and like talking to people is. You just love sharing what you know a lot of the time. So that's that. Linguistics Career Launch 2021 was a one-month intensive program intended to familiarize linguistic students and faculty with career options beyond academia in business, tech, government, and nonprofit organizations. Videos of all our recorded sessions are available on our YouTube channel. LCL was organized by Nancy Frischberg, Alexandra Johnson, Emily Pace, Susan Steele, and Laurel Sutton. You can get in touch at linguisticscareerlaunch at gmail.com. The music is Neptunia by Scanglobe and is licensed under Creative Commons. Podcast production by Gregory Gray at Tuatara Design.